there are these websites, I think they're predominantly used in the States, where uh, you can download the software and uh, you can take a picture through your employee's webcam of your employee every like five seconds. Yeah, no, that was the Russell Brand um, yeah, video, yeah. wasn't it? He was talking about how, you, and you can set it, you can change it to like every second to five minutes, but it's like and the amount of Yeah, at the start of a working have. day, you'll get a email basically saying how productive you were compared to your colleagues. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I'm not surprised that people have said they're, they've negatively been affected productivity-wise. Yeah. Because um, I, I, I think you need to have a balance. Um, so we're now into a new year. Yeah. What are you looking forward to? Um, I'm looking forward to obviously a post-COVID world, hopefully. But I'm also looking forward to just the academic year. And um, why, are you, why are you looking forward to it? Like, <laughs> no, what, what's what's made like you look forward to it? This month, I have somewhat got my shit together in terms of like applications and I feel like I'm now finally on like the right career path or like on a career path which I wasn't on before that you so are that, interested in obviously yeah definitely yeah. and I think for that I'm just excited to use this motivation in the coming year what about yourself um yeah I guess so I think kind of like we mentioned the other day um I'm glad I've got a few systems uh, under my belt which means that I don't have to actually constantly think about what goals am I achieving you know obviously the resolutions were done and, and I didn't really want to say I want to achieve this this and this specifically but I wanted to basically be more productive yeah definitely and I think for both of us I know you introduced me to Notion but it how you found it life-changing genuinely so like, how are you organizing things beforehand so I was using OneNote and then I was using lots of like notebooks and to do like to-do lists and stuff but I just find it a lot better that everything's like compact in one space and then that also goes for stuff like meal plans and you know all the other boring stuff that you don't think to like put into the same space but for me it's useful having everything it's quite everything popular like with uni students as well isn't it like yeah. a lot of people i'm sure you know would have had it and use similar productivity tools yeah i think like a few of my friends have said like they want to start using it but obviously it's not that user-friendly to think? start off. No, I remember watching like a few videos and being like, what the hell? Like this format is just so... And I think it's just because it's different from like a usual Microsoft Like a Word format. document. Yeah. Um, and it definitely takes some getting used to, but I know for some people it's like, oh, the effort of actually setting up this system, which you could probably agree on, it takes a while, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's drifting away from your conventional like folders and files to what is a database. Yeah. But I'm glad that you've embraced it with open arms. Do you think yeah. it's changing your life? Yeah, I think it is slowly changing my life. And I know this is, now that I've set it up, I know I can be consistent with it. So I'm not sure whether this person I'm going to mention has actually talked about it, but um, have you seen Yash's blog he's done this year? Yeah, the, is it like a wellness? And it's a, yeah, it's called the Simple Living Guide, quick yeah. shout out. And um, yeah, he talks about productivity, systems you can put in place to be tidier, have, mm. just, have, just have a more well-rounded life, really. Yeah. Um, do you watch that kind of material on YouTube and things? So productivity YouTubers and what did you call them? Uh, study tubers. Yeah, yeah, study tubers. I did actually like during my A levels watch a few of them. And for me, like now, I do like putting on like a study with me playlist 
that's only if I'm feeling like extremely unmotivated I'm like it's nice having someone there that I, I feel like I'm in like a study session do you know like with yeah. one of my friends or whatever and even sometimes like me and my friends will do like a zoom call and study on the zoom and it's like having that social interaction but also knowing when to start and when to have a break and that kind of stuff so I, I do like the whole study tubing and like productivity motivation because I think like for a lot of people it is a nice like set in the right direction yeah I think it's great I think it's so good to have that kind of information that's finally accessible and you know especially the, the way we're taught in school and how to revise it's not particularly efficient yeah. a lot of, I can say that when I got to uni I genuinely didn't know what was the best way to, to write especially depending on the kind of style of learning like yeah. visual auditory yeah um and so it's good, but I was just interested to ask, like, do you see any potential negative side effects of that kind of content being very popular at the moment? Yeah, definitely. I feel like everything in moderation, but obviously if you get to the extreme end, I feel a lot of people have a pressure to be productive. And that's something that, you know, quite easy can lead to, like, burnout and other things, but the pressure itself... And I was thinking about this the other day, like, has that come into the pandemic? in the sense that during lockdown, obviously we have a lot more time on our hands and everyone's at home. Is that kind of like a push towards us being more productive or feeling like we need to be more productive? Oh, right. So that's more like hustle culture, which yeah, is that, you know, uh, I've seen loads of, I think what are supposed to be motivational posts, which are like, if you can't develop a side hustle or uh, pick up a new skill during lockdown, the problem wasn't time, the problem was you. Yeah. Have you seen stuff like that? Yeah, and it's like, even though it's intended to be very motivating, I think a lot of people can take it a different way and start to measure their own worth by how productive am I being? Obviously, I think there are certain elements in your life where having the tools to be more productive is really helpful. Mm. But obviously to try create the most productive life as a human in all aspects is very dangerous because ultimately we're not robots. We're not yeah. supposed to be hugely efficient. The way that humans tend to operate is to be creative, to sometimes waste time. Yeah. And it's like you said about employers checking up and, you know, figure out how, like quantify how productive we've been. It is treating us like robots as if we're just here to like fulfill like a tick box or like fulfill a task. And like a part of me which might be very anti-capitalist <laughs> in this sense thinks is the whole need to be productive kind of driven by this whole capitalist system that we're in where I think, I think you're definitely right absolutely value is literally in the labour that we provide yeah and it's, it's an efficiency economy isn't it so like yeah. it's even in a social conversation it's like oh like I work like 60 hours a week mm. your natural reaction isn't like you know, isn't that quite unhealthy? They're yeah. like, oh, well done, mate. Like, you're yeah, clearly like, working hard. Yeah, you've got all your stuff together if you can work that many hours kind of thing. Even though consistently we know that an increase in hours worked does not correlate at all with an increase in productivity. Yeah. If anything, and these are conversations that like Tim Ferriss has said in his book about um, shorter working weeks, that actually working people, you know, four days a week will probably result in a, a greater end product than actually being forced to work longer. Yeah, and also being forced to work more hours because I think a lot of companies especially companies employing people um, under a minimum wage will be like oh you're not earning enough money then just pick up more hours mm. instead of looking at the underlying problem which is the pay of people and, espe and especially the the security of people who work in like the gig economy yeah um, like Uber drivers they're all people who are essential um, in terms of our daily lives but just aren't protected at all and it's kind of they're being judged on a different standard of productivity where there might be like lots of different side hustles whereas someone else's productivity could look a lot different um, but what is productivity <laughs> um interesting you say that because i actually have the definition up here 
But just normally, or just yeah, yeah, no, I just thought it'd be interesting, interesting because it says we assume productivity is getting more things done each day, but actually it's about getting important things done consistently. That is such a nice line. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one because obviously it mentions important things, but then what is important to everyone? You know, like there's it's very subjective. My important thing to get done could be cleaning my room, whereas yours probably isn't. No offence. That's very rude. <laughs> um, Unsubstantiated claims. <laughs> but yeah, that just goes to show like productivity in itself is very subjective. Have you experienced burnout before? Um, I would say yes. Um, my kind of, At that point, I think I had experienced burnout. Right. Maybe not to like the extent that I understand burnout now, but definitely towards um, the start of my A-level exams. I felt an insane amount of pressure to just get things done like as quickly as possible, you know, cover as much content as I could, even considering that I had some teachers that just left us not knowing half the syllabus and were just like, yeah, you, you, you go for it yourself, you know, you try it out. So I think in that time, it was a combination of overworking myself and also having very unrealistic expectations of what I could achieve in a short period of time. Do you think that was probably fostered because you went to a school that was not only high achieving, but obviously had an emphasis on independent learning? Yeah, definitely. And I think just academic pressure in my school, I felt, was quite high. And there wasn't much value placed on other things outside of your life. As in the extracurricular and yeah. um, maybe the pastoral side of things was just not entertained at your school? Yeah. I mean, I can appreciate that we obviously come from different schools backgrounds and from yeah. what you told me your school was a bit more relaxed and a bit more like well-rounded in that I think, respect i remember an assembly in like year seven or eight where you know we were told you know for you to have reached this stage and been able to be accepted to the school you would have fought off like 11 boys to be here you all have the talent and the intellectual capacity to be here but what is going to separate you now is your work ethic and how you apply yourself and I think from that point on and especially when we got to GCSE and A levels it was you know we're going to teach you the substance it's up to you now mm. to apply yourself and to make sure that you keep on top of things and I think our school definitely kind of made us feel like okay if you're feeling stressed because you're not being productive then the thing to solve that would be to do more yeah you know to make sure you're working six seven hours or like four hours per subject every day and when you calculate all those hours you're like where's my day gone like i physically don't have that many hours and maybe this is just mine and your experience mm. they never emphasize working smart yeah. it's always just like if things aren't i remember parenting where you know if i didn't do particularly well it would be oh you just need to work harder there was no conversation about well how are you working and can we make that more efficient so that you're learning more in the same amount of time rather than essentially piling more pressure on yourself to go well you're not working hard enough put more hours in and it would just naturally kind of magically arrive there yeah and i think for schools especially and maybe it was just from our experience this whole idea of working smarter is equated to using shortcuts which it isn't yeah i mean we could talk about the failures of our education system for hours but i think the main problem is that there is such a blanket approach to learning which is assumed that everybody follows that same way you know? Do you know anyone at your school who was kind of adversely affected by that? I mean, I think collectively, as a friendship group, you know, those stresses of A-levels really did take its toll to the point where, you know, people would... And one of my friends actually ended up um, 
bunking about two months of school, I'd say, just to like catch up on the work that we hadn't been taught. And so our school was simultaneously telling us you're not doing enough work but also not offering us the support that we needed to do that work mm. so it was just kind of like what's the word it was kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah i mean it's similar to what i just kind of mentioned earlier which is that you can't tell you know young adults to you know this is the destination and just simply telling them that working hard will get you there is a mm. fallacy you have to be able to tell them and equip them with the tools to, to and i think the problem is especially at good schools you have a lot of individuals who can do that and are naturally clever and have also worked out the tools to get there but if you're someone who is a bit slow or hasn't quite reached that stage of maturity yet Mm. then you're just going to be stuck there I think yeah and definitely more stressed out than the rest yeah and I think that comes you know our dad always says that stress is the difference between your expectations and your reality and for a lot of people we're given the exact same expectations when our ability to learn in a certain way and for a certain time very different so it's a case of either you have to now lower your expectations or you have to do what you can do within yourself to bring yourself up to that level so do you feel less or more supported at uni compared to you were at school i feel a lot less supported in the sense that obviously at school we had like a tutor who would meet with regularly we'd have like subject teachers and while I think this obviously varies between unis and between departments I personally feel like I don't have a relationship with a personal tutor and I just never have you know like even in my first year personal tutor meetings were just a bit of a checkbox like okay your attendance great how are you doing any issues right so see you next so time is that, so that pastoral care which yeah. is supposed to be essentially a safety net yeah is that still optional in the sense that Unless you go to that person yeah. and raise an issue, that person's never going to drop you an email and ask, no, there's not how are you like doing? A... If you need a chat, just let me know. Yeah, it's not proactive in that way. And I think what's made it harder is the online element where, you know, some of my seminar tutors, I don't have any face-to-face contact with. So in terms of that natural approach of, you know, coming into someone's office, sitting down and being like, oh, so this is the problem I'm facing. It's quite difficult to do that over an online pl- platform. Absolutely. And so there's like a trade-off between everything becoming more accessible with the whole online space, but at the same time less personal. And I bet that probably, you know, affects productivity for a lot of people during the pandemic because, you know, you're on Zoom 24-7, you're seeing everyone, but it's not the same as having like interaction in an office. I think that's a really interesting point as well, because I think that ties with kind of career anxiety at the moment, like in terms of being a graduate, where for the first time, um, I think lots of firms and companies are widening their access. So you're having like virtual open days, yeah. you know, maybe even a virtual mentoring session or career session, which previously you'd have to obviously apply, get into, and maybe through proximity or the cost it would take to get there, you could only have, let's say, 50 people in a room. Whereas now you can have thousands of people doing it online. But that element of having a personal connection with someone who ultimately can impart on you, you know, secrets and that certain, you know, tips to get ahead, it's just not there anymore. So you're you're widening the access, but you're watering down the quality of the yeah. end product. Yeah. And I think that ties in quite nicely with productivity in the sense that when people are searching to do lots and lots and lots and lots of things, the quality of what you're actually producing in the end is very minimal. You know, you're sacrificing your energy from one area to put it into... So when you started getting into Notion and things of that ilk, yeah. did you feel pressure to do that? Or did, was oh, that just a yeah, natural yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. And Why? I'm 
Well, I'm lucky in the sense that some of my uni friends are very proactive in terms of career stuff. And at first it was kind of like a, oh God, like I'm nowhere near that level of organized or kind of having that direction in knowing exactly what my next career steps are. But obviously, you know, you can look at it in two ways, but I eventually realized, okay, this is like a good starting point. You know, let me start kind of from scratch with Notion and just build the building blocks now instead of stressing about it in three months time. And when you see your flatmates kind of um, talking about their career stuff, is that something that actually is difficult to talk about? Or is it quite open? Um, it's very open, to be fair. And There's I'm, no, like, infighting? Because I can no, imagine no, no, that in a, in, a, in a household where, you know, there's very driven, competitive people, you have a potential for some people to feel kind of left out, isolated, because they're not at that stage yet. Yeah. So it's interesting that you took the turn to, you know, I'm going to try to get on their level, yeah. rather than feel, I am so out of the loop here, yeah. I can't possibly compete. Yeah, and it's also, I'm lucky that it's quite an uplifting space, mm. in the sense that one of my friends is particularly driven and she'll offline often give me some help you know she offered to look at my cv help me develop it a lot and also like informs me of oh have you heard about this opportunity or like this internship deadline's coming up like maybe you should apply kind of thing so it's nice having that um not it's not really a pressure but it's almost like a just a motivating kind of push like, but i think that a lot of people you either, because of how competitive it is, and I'm sure this is the same for other industries, you have to commit very early, mm. right? So within your first and second year, you basically have to make a decision within yourself to say, I'm gonna go for this area, or I'm gonna go for somewhere else. Yeah. Or at least consider other options. Uh, because once you've missed that early stage, especially with the kind of environment you go to when you go to like a, a good university, um, it's very competitive. People are always talking about, oh, I've got this scheme, I've done this internship here, or oh, like how your application's going. Like all this talk is, it's constant. It's like it's like white noise wherever you go on campus, and in even if you go to like a party or like a social situation, that will come up. Yeah. Have you experienced that as well? Oh yeah, definitely. And I think that ties into like a wider question I have on whether you think doing that and becoming like. Um, you know, like careers orientated or being like, okay, this is the area that I'm going to apply myself into. Does that require a degree of assimilation? A degree of being like, okay, I'm going to be that person on LinkedIn that tells everyone stuff that no one wants to hear, but I'm going to do yeah, it anyway. I mean, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because if you are someone who is talking about your successes and how well you've done and completely admitting the, I mean, presumably the number of setbacks you've had to overcome to get to that stage because no one gets their dream job first time that round yeah. unless you're incredibly lucky you're doing a massive disservice to people because you're ultimately saying I'm only comfortable with talking about the times when I succeed when actually because most people are getting setbacks even people I've I mean and I think there's been a slight culture change where people have realised that and you do see people on LinkedIn going you know I've got this job but remember I took you know it took me 56 applications to yeah. get here but even that isn't good enough because when you're faced with failure it's so hard to get back up and do it again that you don't need someone to tell you what well, I've got through that yeah. you need someone to practically say right this is, these are the steps you need to take to get back on again Yeah. I haven't seen that and I don't yeah. see that generally and I think that's why, on balance, I don't feel particularly great with people talking about how well they're on LinkedIn because yeah. often it is the case that they are just completely unwilling to showcase that in order to get to a place where they're happy, they've had to go through a, through a lot of what is essentially heartbreak. Yeah. 
If you're a young uni student and you look on LinkedIn, you see everyone getting a job, that cannot be good for you. It's the same with social media in general. You're only getting a positive side of things when everyone is suffering in silence. And it is, a lot of people consider LinkedIn to be an extension of Instagram. Where I think it's worse. But it's the same filters that people put on their Instagram life and their Instagram profile that they will put on their LinkedIn profile. And when it comes to career, I'm sure, you know, most people would think that career takes precedence over your image on any social media. And it's really, it's difficult because I've got friends who like will de- will post on LinkedIn and be like, I've got this job, I'm having, I'm so thankful for all these people that helped me. And I know they're being genuine. But it would be nice to see them go, I really struggled with doing this. Like There were times I genuinely thought I was going to give up. If anyone wants to have a chat when yeah. they're feeling down, let me know and I'll talk you through it. In the same way that watching a, a video about productivity doesn't make you productive automatically, yeah. seeing someone post about a struggle and how they overcame it is not going to allow you to overcome a struggle. These are real conversations you need to have with people to, yeah. to work out how they've mentally managed to do it. But then no one wants to admit to any kind of failure. Which is bizarre. It is because bizarre. everyone is oversharing. Yeah. But but not oversharing the, but in a the different wrong way. Thing. Yeah. Um, and you see, uh, more so this year, a lot of people taking their social media platforms and using them for good use for like activism and you know posting petitions and raising awareness about what's going on in the world. So if that could happen on Instagram, which started off as a fairly shallow app then surely there is a potential for other but apps. But even with activism, and I think this year has actually been a good example of how activism can be used to educate, you know, in a way that is easily digestible and a way that people can understand and talk to their friends and family about. Um, because it's not, you know, long stages. It's, you know, pictures you slide through, they have key talking points, and that means if you've got someone in your family or friendship group that might be slightly unsure about something, you can explain it to them relatively easily. Yeah. But even with activism, there is an element, I think, of performative justice because yeah and it's definitely the case with a lot of you know influencers and celebrities of their image needs to kind of be associated with being politically woke so whether that's posting a black square a black square on instagram or doing a very passive effect do kind of having like a what's the word is it passive yeah what were you trying to say like shallow like lacking depth um, like surface level, like yeah, just... like they have a very surface level approach to encouraging activism. And you think, is this enough? Is this like just a tick box for them to be you like, yeah, I've done my bit? The, my issue with activism, and it's a very minor issue given that it's actually m- m- been massively helpful to me and other people as well, is you don't see people in the same way in LinkedIn. You don't see people coming out and saying, I really struggled with this. You know, there were times I was going to give up. My, my mental health has tanked as a result of this arduous process of trying to gain a job or graduate employment. You don't see people on Instagram going, I was really ignorant about this issue. Yeah. I had no idea about this. I, this is what I believe. And now I've started to look. Those stages don't happen. It's people who post and go, this is how yeah, the this issue is. How is. You this is how you should think. Yeah, and which is dangerous. On, overall, I have no issue with that. But it, I think it would be more genuine and authentic for people to go, because most people have no idea, right? Yeah. 
especially if, if, you know we, there are certain bubbles which means that you, you can be more associated with this. like we live in london right so and most of our friends are in london which means that we are going to be more in touch with the social issues that are going on than people who live elsewhere yeah and it goes to the same for like us living in this part of the world and a lot of people are very ignorant to issues going out going on in other parts of the yeah. world and so in that respect i think it's great like informing people but then you also run into the problem of which um issues should we push forward which issues yeah, should and we i think that links to burnout as well isn't it because as a political activist on social media you physically cannot dedicate your time to highlighting every single thing that's going wrong socially in the world right now yeah. and i see so many times on the people's uh, instagram comments where they're like oh so you're talking about this but you won't post about this yeah and it's just like well this person is not a spokesperson for every single political failure that's going on in the world right now or yeah. human failure or you know human rights failure the you have to only talk about what you're passionate about otherwise you haven't got time and then to try and attempt to balance all these things going around it can't be good for you yeah and obviously we know that certain issues will be closer to heart for some people than others yeah. you know depending on what part of the world you live in you know your ethnic background your religious That's background your prerogative. you know yeah. if you are if you are passionate about an issue you should speak about it. You shouldn't feel like you have to dilute what you really want to say in order to then talk about other things. You, yeah. you have to do what you feel passionate about. Yeah, and it's true about the burnout. You know, I think there was a real collective feeling after, you know, post-George Floyd that seeing all these um, stories come out and all these posts on social media, it did become quite overwhelming. And for people that decided to kind of look inwards and kind of educate themselves, read up about it, read books, it can be a really mentally challenging process because you're, you know, you're addressing so many issues with a system that you're just happily living in, you know, almost obliviously living in. And also, obviously, you couldn't have been having to see, like you said, images pop up again. And if, if you're a black person on social media, having to kind of relive the generational trauma that you've been accustomed to, yeah. you know, for a very intense period of days must have been very psychologically testing yeah and then on top of that being asked to comment on those issues as a spokesperson i think is extremely challenging you know people deal with things in a very different way and so if you expect every person to give their two cents when maybe they're still internally processing it and yet they're being yeah. criticized and judged yeah for i not think i think it's fair part. to ask someone about their experiences so you can ask someone obviously from a different background oh so there's this thing going on in the world is that something that you've related to personally yeah but you shouldn't ask them like oh could you give me a full detailed history of like the geopolitical reasons behind why this has come about or the historical imbalances that have resulted in this you can't ask them that because then that's stuff that you can find out like yeah. if you want to really know about why something has gone on you can research it yeah you can, and it, but you can only we can only ask someone close to you about their personal experiences yeah and i think as long as that doesn't become a burden on them and even um, recently there was kind of like um, a situation where a girl from my school mm. came forward and she mentioned about her experience at um, CCF and how um, she experienced a lot of racial discrimination there and one of my close friends had also experienced similar discrimination and she had a few people from CCF you know messaging her being like I'm really sorry that you went through this like and she was almost like well what do I do with your guilt you know I'm already feeling a mixture of emotions about this mm. and I shouldn't be burdened with having your guilt and you know my need to now forgive you when I'm processing things in my own way which I think is an important point you know a lot of people um 
and it kind of ties in with productivity you know we're burdened with so many different things that we have to deal with and yet we're still expected to like perform at this level yeah we're the generation that's obviously suffering suffering from um, information overload yeah we have so much stimulus um, in our daily lives that you can't really uh, manage it all yeah Um, and And especially at this time of year with you know people um, advocating for do this for productivity or maybe these are the habits you should build in 2021 and do this for like a more simple guide to living you know it's that shot at yeah but it can be overwhelming it's almost like okay I have already five things that I want to pick up five new skills and now I have to add six seven eight nine ten and I think yeah it goes back to the point that everyone is productive in their own way and when you look at you know life in the workforce now a lot of people probably are missing interaction but equally some people probably work better on their own you know you could tie it into obviously our personalities are very different you probably class yourself as an extrovert uh yes <laughs> and i would class myself as an introvert you're so not an introvert no i would in terms of no you're not yeah you're, I'd, not, you're not an introvert well i definitely think my energy okay, okay. describe an introvert so Obviously, don't come at me. This is just my opinion. No, no, um, no, 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 no. What an introvert is, is not an opinion. Okay, it's so an my is. understanding, I'll rephrase it like right, that. Right, so right. my understanding of what an introvert is, is um, getting more energy out of being in my own company than being in the company of others. And that's not to say that I hate social interaction. Of no, course no. not. But I think, I would say, okay, I'm more in the middle. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. You, I, I know people who are introverts and like, exactly like you said, they find social interactions very draining. They feel uncomfortable in those areas and they often seek opportunities to be on their own where they can recharge and they can go back. It's not like these people are hermits and yeah. they, they, they refrain from any social interaction. It's, that it's, it's based on how... Um, how much they can process being in certain spaces. Yeah. And you're not like that. No, I definitely say I'm 60-40. 60-40 introvert. Yeah. Just because, you know, I love interaction with my friends and people I enjoy being with. Like, that's a very stimulating environment for me. But in terms of, you know, especially, like, during the pandemic, I was more than happy of just sitting, like, by myself. I just, I would not mind living, like, on my own for a week. I think I could do that very well. No, I think I could do the same as well. Yeah. No, I, there were definitely times at lockdown where I think because maybe we're typically quite busy people, to have kind of a week to ourselves, not to do, like not doing a lot, mm. was really relaxing. I found it really refreshing at times where, you know, I normally come home after going out to London or you know doing a career thing, and I'd be so exhausted by the time I get home, maybe having a bit of a week dinner. Um, and suddenly you have this time where oh, actually I've got all these hours in the day to do what I want to do yeah. I think you probably because you're a hard working someone who kind of maybe works a bit harder than you should do you've had that time you're like this is brilliant yeah, I'm this is like, a I can great actually, rest of yeah. just watching Netflix but I, but I, 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 I don't switch. think in a, in a normal week obviously these are unprecedented circumstances but I don't think in a normal week if you had the choice between hanging out with mates, yeah. you would choose to hang out on your own. Yeah. Or when hanging out with mates, you would be mentally exhausted. It would. I think it's more so the timing of when lockdown came about. I think yeah. everyone was living very busy lives, very you know unaware of the weeks to come, and so having that time to just do nothing, like lit- and I mean literally do nothing. You, you know, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I, it was I, great. I didn't do anything. I just it was a nice change of pace, to be fair. And I bought a Switch so I could play on it 24-7. And, and we did. Oh, 